You're listening to a Big Finish production. Doctor Who Short Trips Malevolent Written by Simon A. Forward Read by Bonnie Langford Once upon a space and time, the Doctor and his young companion travelled the ever after. Not always happily. He wasn't a medical doctor, but he had a practice of trying my patience. That day, he'd deliberately given me the slip, anything to avoid his ration of carrot juice. But I tracked him to the TARDIS theatre. It was the first I knew we had a theatre. He paraded the breadth of the stage like a man born to tread the boards. Great thundering footsteps shaking the scenery and stirring galaxies of dust down among the footlights. And a stentorian voice perfect for intimidating beanstalk-climbing burglars who had the audacity to poach golden eggs. She seeks him here, she seeks him there, that blessed Melanie seeks him everywhere. I met the bluster with long patience. I imagine French revolutionaries might have had better luck hunting a Technicolor Pimpernel with his coat of many swatches. If the giant's booming fee-fi-fo-fum failed to send Jack running, that monstrous article of clothing would do the trick. Why on Earth, or any other planet, had he chosen that thing when this room alone was filled with rack upon rack of costumes from every era and culture imaginable, along with plenty of unimaginable ones less liable to scar retinal tissue. Leaving the doctor to some sulking soliloquizing, I gave my eyes a rest from the garish production to soak up the understated grandeur of the theatre. Costumed mannequins gazed down from shadowed galleries, while in the pit it was standing room only for other mannequins amid the crush of clothing racks. Why do you have a theatre on board the TARDIS? We tried it the other way round. Didn't work. The doctor struck a pose that only lacked a skull in his upraised hand. What a piece of work is Mel! Instead of applause, all he got from me was a tut and an eye roll. I idled away the barddom by sifting through the nearby outfits. I brushed aside a voluminous gown of pearls and peacock feathers and jumped out of my skin. A woman stared at me. Pale vampire skin, tumbling copper curls, startled expression. Me. I stared at me. One blink and she was gone. I swallowed my heart back down to where it belonged. I pushed the rack aside, searching for her searching for someone who couldn't possibly be there. The casters rebelled like shopping trolley wheels. The rack jangled against its neighbour. The doctor stomped up behind me. He grabbed the rack and jiggled it loose. What have you found? he 
he asked. I'm not sure I've heard you scream that loud since you calculated the calories in that Viking banquet. I did my best to laugh at myself. Only, well, this mirror, I suppose. The doctor's efforts revealed what looked like a boxy mechanical dressing table with an oval frame mounted on top, an empty space where the mirror had been. This old thing? The doctor approached it with a degree of pride and patted its flank like it was a favoured robotic pet. That's a space-time visualiser. He ran a finger over its surface and showed a dust-clad fingertip. Not been used in several lifetimes. Why would you think it's a mirror? I saw myself in it. I played a game of spot the difference in my head. She hadn't been me exactly. Well, it... it... she... looked like me, but... too much eye makeup. And black lipstick. And she was dressed in black. The doctor eyed me dubiously. Black? With your complexion? And hair colour? Yes. I said, and skipped the debate on colour coordination. She was me, but not me. Hmm. The doctor leaned in and fumbled around the machine like he was checking all the cables were hooked up correctly to the back of an old TV. Odd. A trace of warmth in the old circuits, as if she's been on standby all this time. He thumped the machine. The lights cut out. Darkness fell like a final curtain. That, he said, is not the effect I was after. I couldn't see the doctor's face. I waited for my eyes to adapt, expecting some comment about carrots any minute. Doctor, what did you... Shh! A finger buttoned my lips. I tasted dust and sneezed. <laughs> Beyond the silence, somewhere past the theatre walls, things moved. Many somethings. More somethings than had any right to be inside the TARDIS. Shuffling, shambling steps. Grunts, grumbles and murmurs. Hammers and scrapes like hefty dental instruments probing at teeth. Doctor, I whispered. What is that? Uninvited guests, he answered. We should take a look outside. I'm not sure I want to go out there. No need to go poking our noses anywhere. Not when we can spy from here. He hunched over the machine. Let's see if I can coax some life out of the old dear. Ah, there we are. Hmm, he added, not best pleased. And there they are. The image was dim and grainy, fractured with sporadic coughs of static. Creatures moved like breakdancing ghosts in what I had assumed was the mirror. Goblins scratched into being, etched on living slate. They scampered and scuttled across a familiar background. A wall of roundels. A gasp escaped me. The TARDIS! Of course it's the TARDIS. In the screen flicker, I saw the Doctor fiddle with some dials. 
the viewer jump cut from scene to scene. Shot after shot of gnarled back goblins with demon eyes and an arsenal of power tools. Excavating the TARDIS walls like miners at coal faces, the scans rushed on and on. Until... there she was. Me. Or not me. She paced a stretch of passage, overseeing her army of workers with dagger looks and whiplash commands. She wore a coronet of sculpted black bone. Her gown was a ragged tempest of black fabrics, an underlying shimmer to many pleats, as though some enterprising designer had gone at the night sky with scissors to create this masterpiece. But she didn't just wear black. It was in her eyes, behind them, like a poison, invisible and yet somehow discernible, seeping through every pore. She spun slowly, locked her Medusa gaze on us. There was a snake in her smile. Behind her, the goblin workforce toiled, cutting into roundels with torches and embedding a strange scaffold into the wall. Amid excited snarls and squeals, they locked the last piece of their grid into place and leapt back. The Witch Queen turned from us then and watched. As the framed section disintegrated, first to ashes, then to nothing. We looked into a void that tugged you in like vertigo. A void where a stretch of ordinary TARDIS corridor used to be. Oh no, 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 the doctor argued with the image. That won't do at all. And I knew he wasn't talking about the Witch Queen's clashing cosmetics and hair. The doctor grasped my hand and tugged me through the forest of clothes. He moved like a mad shopper snatching at the best bargains, piling his finds into my spare arm. He practically mugged a mannequin and divested it of a jet-encrusted tiara, which he dumped unceremoniously on top of my collection of couture, which wasn't so much haute as noir. All shades of black. Doctor, unless you're hosting a Halloween party, Melanie... Whoever that woman is, she has borrowed your face. And now she's stealing bits of my TARDIS. This is not the time to trouble ourselves over whether your outfit goes with your eyes. He glanced over the selection of items. That lot should just about do. Now, make up. Backstage. He hauled me up onto the stage and down the steps to the dressing rooms. A shoe fell from the pile. Ever the Prince Charming, the Doctor stooped to retrieve it as he propelled me towards a row of dressing tables and mirrors. What do you expect me to do with this lot? Their clothes! Get dressed! He dashed to the adjacent dresser and began rummaging in a drawer. I'd have thought the paradigm was perfectly plain. I can't see anything. There was a scratch and a hiss as he held a match aloft while he rummaged posing like a very busy Statue of Liberty with the tiniest torch. But the glimmer was welcome, and the flame remarkably steady. That doppelganger has hacked the space-time visualiser and repurposed it as a portal, he explained. We should be able to turn tables on our invader, but you're going to have to look the part. 
the match flame was taking its sweet time to burn down to the doctor's fingers. Conscious that it might not last forever, I sifted through the garments and arranged them into some sort of outfit. They wouldn't make an exact duplicate, but with a few judicious rips, I set about modelling something along the lines of my evil twin's costume. More haste and more speed, urged the doctor. I'm going as fast as I can, I said, nearly falling over as I pulled on a stocking. But where am I supposed to be going exactly? Through the looking glass, he announced, which was as clear as mud. But on the question of whether I was supposed to be Alice or Cinderella in this scenario, there was no confusion at least. The answer was neither, of course. I was meant to be the Witch Queen. The doctor snuffed the match before I had the chance to check my makeup. He pulled me from the chair and towed me by hand back up onto the stage. He planted a pair of earrings in my palm. Here, accessorise with those. He struck another match and held it up while I fixed the earrings in place. They were droplets of blood-red crystal. Striking, but not a detail I remembered on the Witch Queen's ensemble. Crohelian rubies, said the doctor. These will resonate to radio frequencies and relay microsonic pulses into your mastoid. Once I reach the console room, I'll be able to talk to you with only you able to hear me. Okay, I said, feeling better at the prospect of having a little guidance. But how will you reach the console room? With my innate homing instincts and a great deal of luck. Doctor... Surely I'm going to have to do more than look like this woman, aren't I? Of course! She appears to have styled herself as your evil twin. Or a sinister sibling at the very least. So, I suggest you put that eidetic memory of yours to work and assume some of her mannerisms and attitude. Have you had any experience of tyranny? Other than enforcing health and fitness regimens on innocent time lords? No, Doctor. The Witch Queen was vivid in my mind, like the final blast of a nightmare that wakes you up. I tried to adjust the set of my shoulders accordingly and tested out her walk for a few steps. Oddly enough, there weren't many opportunities for practicing evil in Pea's Pottage. The Doctor moved the match closer to his face, risking a few singed curls to lend his features an eerie cast. Well, we have to work with what we're given. Needs must when the devil drives. You'll have to lose that plucky gait of yours for starters. Huh. I thought I had a confident stride. Yes. Perfect for step aerobics, but it won't do here. You want a less eager confidence. You're in charge. You're in no hurry because others are jumping to obey your every command and do everything for you. Own the role and own the space around you. Forgive me, Doctor, but have you had a lot of experience at being a villain? Here and there, this and that. I'm considered quite the monster in some quarters. Strangely, I believed him. I paced the stage some more, borrowing from the overbearing aerobics instructor at the first gym I ever attended. When she wasn't leading classes, she would parade in front of us, taking pleasure in pointing out our flaws. Better, the doctor declared. Practice makes perfect. You're going to have to perfect it in the field. He helped me down off the stage and steered me to the visualizer. 
Its display showed another large helping of TARDIS gulped down by a hungry void. The goblin deconstruction workers celebrated their handiwork like little bullies who'd kicked over the last tower of a sand castle. The doctor tinkered furiously with the machine. I have to get to the console room before the TARDIS runs out of corridor altogether and I'll be taking the visualizer with me so I can keep an eye on you. He stood aside and a warped bubble of air erupted in front of the visualizer. The screen that I had mistaken for a mirror had expanded into a full-length window. Good luck, Doctor. I'll be in touch, he promised. I braced myself, nodded, then stepped up to the window, through the looking glass. What awaited me was no wonderland. I felt like I was going to a fancy dress party hosted by Count Dracula, out of my element and the teeniest bit petrified. The room I'd arrived in, or the room that arrived around me, wasn't unlike mine in layout. Simple bed, bedside cabinets, a corner wardrobe, a desk and a chair. But all the personality, any touch of me, had been drained leached away by some decor vampire, replaced with Dickensian decay, too much gloom and age. Shadows knitted together by cobwebs, coats of dust thick enough to gather in furry clumps, walls blistered and cracked like ancient plaster, ornamentation such as candlesticks and strange gargoyle figurines was all toppled, broken or corrupted with rust. Pictures hung on the walls like doomed men on cliffs. Vague ghosts in their frames, hidden behind spidery veils. Melanie Bush had moved out. Miss Havisham had moved in. Thankfully, she wasn't at home just then. I crept towards the door, listening. The air was dead, but a chill washed over me from somewhere. For an illusion of company, I hummed to myself, staying alive by the Bee Gees. Outside, there was yet more decay and ruin. Crumbling columns entangled in parched ivy, a Roman bath with a chipped and pitted mosaic beneath stagnant water, littered with leaves that had curled up and died long ago. Something, maybe my arrival, stirred the water to lethargic ripples, and the dead foliage seemed to whisper. Beyond lay an auditorium bound by arches, but the Gothic architecture was heavily infected with moss and lichen, and rigid stone broke down into wild, organic patterns, branching like trees overhead. Gaps in the canopy revealed a brooding thunderhead, liquid space close to boiling point, at the centre, a dozen goblins clambered over a scaffold like monkeys. Horned and tusked, they looked like they crawled out of one of Hieronymus Bosch's more disturbed paintings. Ashen particles buzzed and swarmed within the frame. Projected upwards, they sketched a honeycomb of circles in the air. The sketch 
solidified into an expanse of ceiling, inset with those ubiquitous TARDIS roundels. The goblins hissed and applauded, then began to descend, dismantling their scaffold as they came. A dozen goblin heads turned my way. Reasoning that their witch queen would approach fearlessly, that's what I did. The goblins fidgeted nervously about, many shuffled backwards, leaving one of their number to stand as a spokesdemon. He frowned, scrunching up his face like a clump of those dead leaves from the pool room. He had a very lopsided gargoyle face and a pair of tusks that jutted from the corners of his devil eyes. He seemed to wonder what I was doing here. I figured it would be best to beat him to it. What are you doing here? I demanded. We obey. We do everything to your instruction, my queen. The others chorused. It wasn't unflattering, even from such grim subjects. Excellent. Show me the other sections, I ordered. I didn't especially crave their company, but I reckoned a small posse would help keep other goblins at bay. It meant having to maintain my act all the time, but just as the doctor said, practice made perfect. They flocked to me like faithful puppies, forming a ring around me at a respectful distance, as though afraid to taint my hem with their lowly touch. We thought, we thought you were in the other space, growled Tuskeye. Other space had to mean the TARDIS. And now I have returned to supervise work here. How are the labours progressing? I decided to keep my questions vague to avoid any telltale slips. It was tricky, fishing for clues without any bait for my hook. Reconstruction goes well, my queen. The others echoed. Sufficient mass will be integrated within the hour, my queen. They sang tunelessly. Sufficient for what? I wondered, but kept that question to myself. We proceeded through one of the arches. Despite not having the faintest idea where I was headed, I moved with the kind of purpose and intent I was sure my evil twin would exhibit. It was like marching through a building site in a world conceived by Salvador Dali and Roger Dean. We wound our way through vaulted and fractured halls, exposed to the same stormy void I'd seen above the canopy. Structures, ruined or incomplete, floated like isolated islands in that churning sea of nothing. Everywhere, platoons of goblins erected their scaffolds to bring through chunks of TARDIS to seal the spaces, fusing clean white roundels with medieval derelicts. My followers escorted me out onto a rocky promontory jutting into the churning void. The edge was bordered with rampant overgrown hedgerows. Paving slabs cracked under the weight of thorns. Over to the right, a bridge, a precarious arc of stone, reached to a jade door in the middle of all the nowhere. My entourage halted. You wish to inspect most, my Asked Tuskai. After waiting out the inevitable chorus, I nodded. As long as the host wasn't actually Dracula, I very much wanted to see him or her. Host suggested someone in charge, someone other than their witch queen. Someone who might see through my disguise, but I would just have to brave that out 
for the chance of meeting someone with some proper answers. With my goblin entourage bowing and scraping all the way, I crossed the bridge, doing well to hide my impatience and burning curiosity. Somehow, I had to watch my step without looking down. The slightest wobble of the knee or bat of eyelid, and my entourage would become my executioners, sending me to my doom with a single heartfelt shove. I focused on the far side of the bridge and remembered what the doctor said about owning the space around you, even if that amounted to dizzying emptiness on both sides. Tuskai and co grew twitchier and more nervous as we approached the door. The door swung ponderously inwards and I marched in, pretending to be totally undaunted. The chamber was a haven of pristine pinkish grey, curiously calming, almost hypnotic on the eyes. In the centre was a raised altar, growing from the floor like a mesa of white marble. The structure was hollowed out to form a sarcophagus or coffin. A figure lay within, robed in rich velvets, autumnal reds and browns trimmed with summer golds. I'd found a sleeping beauty. A beauty without a face. Leave me, I commanded, and was relieved to hear all the goblins scrabbling from the chamber. The door shut them out. Slowly, I approached the sleeping princess, watching for any stir of motion, the subtlest rise and fall of the figure's chest. But she was an ever-changing corpse, lifeless, breathless, but shifting in an altogether different way. Her features and hands were a riot of radiant golden energy, fluid and undecided. Beauty morphed into beast, back to beauty, in a never-ending flux. A young girl surfaced in the glow, a fleeting mask of delicate cheekbones and ruby lips, which drowned and melted into a craggy old crone. Face after face emerged in an ever-rippling pool of light. Dark hair, blonde, white, grey, curls, ringlets, wire-straight copper, long tresses, short bobs, sharp, aquiline noses softening to rounded bumps, a kaleidoscope of eye colours. She was a portrait of a thousand subjects. What kind of host could she be? Doctor, I asked the heir. Are you seeing this? Surely he must have reached the console room by now. Fascinating. Suspended regeneration. The doctor inhabited both my ears. He huffed and puffed like a wolf having a go at blowing down a house of brick. Regeneration? She's a time lady. Ancient Gallifreyan from uh, before my time, uh, by the looks of things. He broke off for a breather. But uh, only extreme circumstances uh, could force suspended regeneration. Doctor, are you quite all right? I wondered. Fine, he panted. Just keeping the lines of uh, communication open. I've almost restored auxiliary power. But in the meantime, this infernal exercise bicycle is finally proving invaluable. I tried not to giggle at the image of the doctor pedalling furiously away to keep the radio going. Although, if we could uh, restrict 
ourselves the essentials. What else have you seen? Sorry, of course. Adopting a straight face, I summarised what I'd seen so far. So, we have an ancient Gallifreyan and what appears to be an ancient TARDIS and something uh, cannibalising parts of my TARDIS for repairs. That's what I thought, I confirmed. More or less. Good girl. Give me a moment. If I can finish restoring some power, I can try to establish telepathic contact via our visualizer link. All right, Doctor. How long will that take? Silence. Silence ended by a commotion outside the chamber. A medley of subservient and agitated calls of... I didn't need to peer outside the door to know what that meant. Doctor, I begged, whatever you're planning, please hurry. Thrusk, thrusk, thrusk. The word invaded my mind, coursed through my veins and thoughts like a poison. With it came a biblical plague of images. The thrusk, said the doctor. I sensed him hovering, sorting and filtering the memories like a helpful librarian as his promised telepathic link established itself. A race that once mined the vortex for its riches. Their entire civilization vanished without trace. The vortex stirs. There, prey swims within reach, and I strike. I burrow through a force barrier, worm my way through circuits. From circuits to fingertips, I pass into the pilot. My victim recoils, staggers from the controls. Her ship reels, stricken. The host crashes to the deck, every fibre fraying as I eat deeper into her nervous system. Her body rages, fights to expel me. Incredible, declared the doctor. The thrusk, an entire race reduced to a vortex parasite. The host cells burn with new life, scorching, searing, fighting to purge me from this body. Time heals. Time is my enemy. I must arrest the change. Shut down the regeneration. There will be no new life. The host remains a battleground. The ship, though, is mine. I spread through its structure, staking my claim. Its matter sustains me, but it is not enough to survive. I coax bodies, servants, from the walls and decks and columns. Mold them to my will while I crave a shape of my own. There, an eye through the vortex, a fine face and form for me to wear, a gateway to another ship, a gift of possibility. One final perfect vision, two ships that crash in the night, implosion, collision, collapse, critical mass, blinding explosion, expansion. I am the universe, I am the thrusk, we are one, we are the same. Contact broke. The dream shattered. I stood alone and slightly dizzy. The sleeping princess slept on and I appeared to have rested my hands on her to steady myself. I stepped back and rubbed my eyes, trying to soothe the budding headache behind them. Doctor, I said. The Time Lord cannot help you, I said from the doorway. My voice, but not me. 
the voice of a woman who chewed icicles for pleasure. I whirled to see myself, but not me. The Witch Queen. A gaggle of goblins crowded in her wake. Imposter! I hissed and pointed at the Witch Queen. In a face-off against yourself, I thought a preemptive strike was best. She is the female from the other space. The female whose form I borrowed. Come to impersonate your queen. <laughs> the goblins chorused, although none were quite sure where to address their praises. Their actual queen offered one of her serpent smiles and slithered patiently towards me. If that is so, child, why are you trembling? Suddenly, I noticed my pointing hand wasn't terribly steady. The Witch Queen beckoned her loyal subjects forward. They flexed talons and scratched at the floor, eager to tear at something softer. Yes, I declared. I narrowed my eyes and imagined myself as big as the Doctor. Self-importance and indignation didn't have to be limited by size, though. Villains, I supposed, were bigger on the inside. Yes, I am trembling with rage at this insult. You had the audacity to impersonate me? That's right, that's right. Keep her busy now. The doctor was back in my ears. I only need a few more minutes. For what? I wondered. The witch queen appeared to appraise me like a cheap bauble that had found its way into her crown jewels. True, imitation is insult, not flattery. But it is not the forgery's place to object. That was a bit rich, coming from the woman who'd borrowed my face. I decided I could pile it on just as thickly as her. Your presence here is as great an offence as your appearance. My faithful servants are wise enough to know the difference between their queen and a poor pretender. Tuskai was down at my feet, reaching, daring to touch the hem of my gown. The Witch Queen allowed her smile to stretch, admiring the creature's boldness, sensing my brief reign was over. That child is where you are correct, she said. You are soft flesh. If they prick you with their talons, you will bleed. I am made of sterner stuff. On that point, she had me. She was, I supposed, like her servants, made from the matter of this strange realm. I met Tuskai's gaze, looked at his goblin comrades shuffling closer. It wasn't as if I'd struck any particular rapport with them, but now that I knew where they'd come from, it occurred to me they might harbour other loyalties, more deeply rooted. And in any case, wasn't fear of a tyrant founded in one basic instinct common to all living things? Survival. It's true, I confessed, standing straight and tall as I could. Imperious almost, in spirit at least. I am not your queen, but I am a better queen than her. I know you. I know what you are. And I know that she means to destroy you. She is a parasite, and maybe you're infected with her. But she created you from this TARDIS. You are part of this ship, this world, this sleeping lady, the host behind me. She is your true mistress, your true queen. I backed up against the sarcophagus, 
hoping that might keep the goblins from surrounding me. <laughs> the chorus questioned. Tuskai and the others searched the Witch Queen's face. She did not trouble herself to deceive them. Yes, the two timeships will meet in destruction, she revealed, explaining her plan like any good villainess. But as the seeds of a new universe, we will be the matter and substance of that universe, threads within the fabric of all new life. But will we be destroyed? queried Tuskai. The other goblins appeared just as keen to be absolutely clear on that point. The Witch Queen issued a curt nod, as though that was the subject closed. She raised an arm, her hand snaking towards my throat. Suddenly, I toppled backwards, falling and falling like Alice down the rabbit hole. Above me, I saw the Witch Queen disappear amid a mob of angry goblins. They flocked around her like greedy children, and all I could hear were her screams. Thank you, Doctor, and thank you, Melanie. The woman spoke with my voice. She also had my face. The two things went together very well. Her tones were very refined, her poise very regal, and her expression serene. She stood in the TARDIS console room, near the shimmering portal projected by the visualizer. Oh, you're very welcome, Lady Tamira. I'd shake your hand, the doctor offered, but, you know, we'd probably best keep our contact to a minimum. Doctor, I scolded, you're not suggesting she's still infected. No, child. The regeneration has cleansed me of the parasite. It was a bit peculiar to be called child by a woman no older than me. Well, on the surface, anyway. The fact is... We belong in very different times, and some time streams are not meant to be bridged. Quite, the doctor agreed. I probably broke a few laws by establishing telepathic contact, but luckily Lady Tamira was largely dormant, held in suspended regeneration by the Thrusk. Hopefully you don't recall very much. Officially, I should forget you completely, she said. But you have my eternal gratitude. And you, my lady, have parts of my TARDIS. Enough to render your TARDIS operational, at least. Enough to get you home. I will purge those sections as soon as I've arrived, she promised. Probably for the best, said the Doctor. Type 40 structural matrices in a Type 2 TARDIS would be like finding traces of organic crystallography in the first telephone. We wouldn't want to unduly influence TARDIS development. Lady Tamira nodded. The future secrets are safe with me. Thank you. She bowed. The Doctor and I returned the gesture. Then she turned and stepped through the portal. Gone. It's strange, I remarked, to think there's a Time Lady out there with my face. It's been known to happen said the Doctor innocently. Normal fashion resumed, I trotted up to the Doctor in the console room. He pretended not to notice me, busy playing the visualizer like a concert organist at a Wurlitzer. With a final flourish, he stood back and bowed his head, but with a heaviness to his brow 
that didn't invite applause. The machine fizzed and sparked, spitting smoke and lightning. I admit, I flinched. But the doctor stood and watched and sighed. In a final explosive flash, the oval frame melted and crumpled, fusing to the box. The doctor gave the machine a farewell pat, then snatched his hand back and blew on his lightly cooked palm. Ouch! Well, that's that, he declared. No more space-time visualising. I nudged him. Cheer up, Doctor. Who wants to watch it on the box when we can go out and visualise it all with our own eyes? Ah! <laughs> he threw a paternal arm around me. Yes, where would I be without your perennially sunny outlook? Keep this up, young lady, and I might even develop a carotene tolerance. <laughs> In any case, it had to be done. It was the only way to be sure of cutting the link between the two TARDISes. Can't have any old Tom, Dick or Sullivan breaking in here. A Time Lord's TARDIS is his castle. He smiled one of those broad smiles that was even bigger on the inside. At which point, I'm sorry, I succumbed to a little wickedness. The temptation was just too great and I put on a frown as easily as slipping into a witch queen's gown. The only thing is, Doctor, I was just in my room putting away my costume. I thought it might be fun to keep it as a souvenir, you know. But my wardrobe, well, there was no back to it. And it seemed to lead somewhere. What? The Doctor puffed up like a frog prince, possibly about to croak. Then he saw right through me. But that look on his face was, well, not exactly happy ever after. But happy ever after is for fairy tales. Meanwhile, the rest of us mere mortals, well, we make the most of a few seconds of priceless.